Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. I've had so many people reach out to me about Ukraine and how to donate to legitimate charities, and I have information for you on that. I also want to talk more about how this situation is going to affect you and me and the wallet. I mean, it's hard to even talk about that with the suffering going on by the Ukrainian people, but it is obviously on people's minds. And later, I want to talk about strategies for you with the spring car buying season coming for new vehicles, what you do to navigate that. And by the way, Consumer Reports data is just out on the brands and vehicles that are by far the most reliable. We're going to talk about that. And the key thing there, the vehicles that tend to, the brands that tend to do best overall are not fancy ones. But, Krista, I want to do something really different today because you've had so many questions posted about Ukraine. Let's go to a question just to kick that off. Yeah, let's do that. Um, Here's one of the questions we've received. This is from Joe in Texas. He says, I feel terrible about what is happening in Ukraine and would like to donate money to some cause to support the people there. What is the best way to find a reputable charity to help this cause and ensure the money goes towards the people? It's always a problem in any tragic circumstance, any natural disaster, in this case, a man-made one, that when we as generous souls want to help, that also scamsters come out of the woodwork to con us out of our money. Now, longstanding, I've talked about three organizations that review charities and let you know not only who's legit, but also whether they're efficient with the money you donate. They are all .orgs, Give, Charity Watch, and Charity Navigator. And with each of them, they use a different methodology for determining whether a charity is legit or not. And so you can look at an organization that you're considering giving to or that's soliciting you to see if they are on the up and up. We also have published at Clark.com a quick and dirty guide to organizations that are specifically involved in uh, helping out the Ukrainian refugees and Ukraine. And we've tried to limit it to organizations that we, based on our research, are doing the right thing. And I just want to express how 
inspired I have been, as people have been around the world, by the unbelievable bravery of the Ukrainian people facing a vastly more powerful and superior military and showing what courage is all about. I think people all over the world, unless you have no heart, have been touched by what you've seen. Uh, We're all going to be touched in the wallet by what's happened uh, with the Russian invasion. And the most obvious thing is what's happened with what you're paying at the pump. And that's going to get potentially worse for a while. And it's going to take a while. We were already energy short, which I don't think is any accident that Putin used that time when he felt that he was in a really strategic position in terms of energy to attack Ukraine. And it's going to cost us. The average American typically spends about 5% of their income on fuel. And so you're going to see that that's going to step up for the average American to 7 or 8% potentially of what you might normally spend to fuel your vehicle. There are people who are ultra-long commuters. There are people who work in service businesses that they own, that they're on the road all day long. And for you, energy could be a much bigger part of it. What you pay for gasoline, for fuel, could even be as high as 20% of your income. And that is an absolutely brutal blow with these higher prices. For most of us, it's just the most clear price point we see every day as we ride down the road and we see the gas prices posted and we see them going up, up, and away. And we could end up in a 2009 situation again with oil about, well, inflation adjusted. It was $147 a barrel at the peak 13 years ago. Inflation adjusted, that would mean something, I think, about 175 a barrel is where we could end up. And we could easily see an average price of a gallon of gasoline somewhere between 4 and $5 a gallon for a while. As I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, though, about gasoline and oil prices, when the price signals move up like that, it's the first step to recovery to more reasonable prices. And that recovery happens because oil fields that might not have been economic before become economic again. And so people are out there exploring and producing as the price signals move up. And so this is not a one-way street. As we've seen all through the decades, prices will spike, as they did twice in the 1970s. And then after the second spike in the 1970s, prices fell to the lowest they'd been in decades. And so it is something that is, when it's going up, 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 it feels like it's ever, that's all it's ever going to do when it's going down. It feels like, oh, we don't have to worry about that anymore. But it's a commodity. We just notice it and its movements in price more than others because it's so directly something we feel uh, every week or twice a week or how many times you fill up. You feel it every time you go to fill up. And it is a sacrifice that the world is going to have to make to try to rein in Putin. And it's just something we're going to have to live with. 
other things and costs, some things will go up, others not. One of the things that will come out of this is we as a nation are going to stop talking about and we're going to get more serious about having our own supply chains on things that are critical to national security. One of them that's been talked about a lot this week is computer chips, that we have been way too dependent on communist China for the production of computer chips. And we have got to do this on our own. Uh, Now, when I say on our own, I'm including our allies, who are obviously people we can trust, the South Koreans, the Taiwanese, that are big players in this. But it would be very valuable for us to have domestic supply chain. The reality is, when you build a chip factory, there's not a huge labor cost differential because so much of what goes on in a chip factory is automated. And so it is something that we can do domestically and not create a cost problem for us selling and exporting chips because the factories are so incredibly efficient. And there will be other unintended and unexpected effects from being in wartime. There always is. As I said last week, anytime you go to war, in this case, this was a war of choosing by Putin, it has unintended consequences for the aggressor, for the barbarian that Putin is, and for the rest of the world. And time will tell how it all plays. One thing I want you to have that you know, and I want you to hear from me, and I want you to feel it in your heart and your head. We in the United States are an incredibly diversified economy. And there will be no body blows from this that we will suffer in the United States. We are not a monoline economy. We're not a country that just produces one kind of thing or just has one kind of resource. Our greatest resource is the American people and the ingenuity that we have in this country and what we can do in times of adversity. We as Americans have been doubting ourselves for a long time. And part of it goes back to the war in Iraq, uh, to a lesser extent, the war in Afghanistan, and then our political divisions. So we as Americans have not had the confidence in what we're about and what we can do. But the reality is we're going to be tested now. And I believe we're up to the test, and I believe we're up to the challenge. That having been said, Krista, let's go to some questions. This is from Edna in Michigan. If I have money in a money market account, is it safer than a regular savings account? And how will this conflict with Russia affect my bank accounts? So when you say money market account, there are two different kinds. There's an FDIC insured, or if you're a credit union, NCUA insured money market account. And that is identical in terms of protection as you have in a bank or credit union savings account. No difference at all. You're insured up to a quarter million dollars by the federal government. Your money is completely safe in a money market fund. In a money market mutual fund, which is the longer 
name that you would have if your account was with one of the discount or full commission stockbrokers. You don't have the federal insurance. But the reality is that those accounts have proven to be incredibly safe over the decades because of the internal structure of those accounts. There's only been very rare instances that they've done what's called break the buck, which is where money market mutual funds are designed, money market accounts as they're referred to shorthand, to always have a constant value of $1 a share. And then on top of it, you earn whatever the free market interest rate is at that time. So the chance that a fund would break the buck is minuscule, almost non-existent. And if you want the absolute safest environment, you do a money market account with a bank or credit union. If you're not really worried about the possibility of breaking the buck, then having that account with a brokerage is just fine too. And this one is from Don in Missouri. Hi, Clark. I own a fairly high efficiency natural gas furnace that is 25 years old. My plan was to replace this unit with an even more affordable, efficient natural gas furnace soon. With natural gas prices currently being high and the eventual ending of fossil fuels, should I look for a different heat source, such as a heat pump? So this is almost impossible to answer. Um, If you look at where, if you put in a heat pump, if you look at where the energy producers the power companies are getting the largest source of their energy from in most states, it's from the same natural gas as you're running your natural gas furnace. The advantage of going to a heat pump is that the power company then has many, many different sources that that energy can come from. can come from uh, solar, wind, coal, natural gas, geothermal, hydro, things I haven't even thought of yet, that when it comes through the electricity wires, the actual source of the energy can be so many different things. In the case of natural gas, our ability to produce natural gas is the envy of the world. That We've been able, through the newer techniques, to tap incredible amounts of natural gas. So, as far as what's going to be cheaper, you're talking about uh, you're talking about a 20, 25 year decision here. You said your furnace 25 years old. The answer of what would be more cost efficient is almost impossible to answer. I will tell you this: if you're thinking of making a change now, whatever it is, the real way you control the cost of the energy to your home is to look to see if where you live is a viable opportunity for you to put in solar. The solar has a big impact on what you generally pay for energy at your home. And depending on where you live and how competitive the solar installation market is where you live, the payback period is such that thinking of your holistic energy needs of your home making a decision that involves the installation of solar could be a really smart decision for you. So straight ahead, I want to talk about car buying. Most difficult year for car buying 
there's been other than last year <laughs> since right after World War II. I talk about where your dollars are most efficiently spent. And if you are buying a new vehicle, how do you go about the process to protect your wallet as much as possible? The spring car buying season is the most important for people, particularly buying new vehicles each year. And this year, like last spring, completely disrupted by the supply chain issues that are so many different factors, but the chips have been a problem for a while. There are other distortions specifically that have brutalized the used vehicle market. And so it's not for the faint of heart if you're thinking of buying a vehicle right now, particularly if you're a new vehicle buyer. If you're just tired of what you have, I will tell you what I've been saying for a good while. Keep driving what you have because of the problems in the marketplace. I mean, you if you don't want to do that, here's how it plays. You're going to get an inflated value for your used vehicle because of the shortages. The prices in the used vehicle market have started moderating a little, but they're not anywhere near back to where they were. If you think of this like a roller coaster that went straight, straight, straight up over a relatively short period of time, We've been at the peak of the roller coaster for a few months, and now it's starting to come down a little bit. It's going to take a while before supply and demand are back in sync and used vehicle prices return to more normal. But they're going to get there. Um, In the meantime, a new report from an industry trade source says that 80% of new vehicles people are buying are being sold above the retail price, what's known as MSRP. The automakers are really upset about this because it's distorting people's perception of the brand. They blame the brand, not the dealer, for selling above manufacturer's suggested retail price. And I talked recently about how uh, Chevy and Ford dealers have been very upset. Chevy and Ford as manufacturers have been very upset with their dealers that are selling above MSRP. More recently, Hyundai has gotten upset with dealers selling above MSRP. And so this is, this is a problem for you when you're going out and buying. So if eight out of 10 vehicles are being sold above MSRP, what do you do? You just roll over? What you do is you shop and even be willing to go further to buy a new vehicle than you would have in the past. So today, Airline tickets are sold as one-ways, and so many people are getting on airplanes, making a deal somewhere else in the country, flying somewhere else, taking delivery of a vehicle somewhere else in America, and driving it home where they're not having to pay the big differences. Last December, for my wife's birthday, I bought her a surprise new vehicle, and the differences in price in an area that was about 100 miles in diameter were unbelievable. The prices that I was quoted on a vehicle ranged the difference from the cheapest to the most expensive for the same vehicle equipped virtually identically, $23,500 difference. This was a nice car. But $23,500 difference from the most expensive place that I was quoted 
to the cheapest. What's great with online ability now at so many dealers, you can get an actual real quote online. And dealers know they sell a certain percent of their vehicles to people that are shopping around and they have uh, from a very rudimentary to very sophisticated online selling operation. And I was able to shop around and make a huge difference in what I had to pay. And I only had to drive. And the place I ended up buying from was about an hour and 15 minute drive one way to get the vehicle and save over $20,000. I mean, that's crazy. But it does depend on what you're looking at, how many dealers are in an area, how far you're willing to go to save money. You always have to be prepared if they bait and switch you. If you take that one-way airplane flight somewhere, and then they say, we were just kidding you on that. We're not selling it to you for that. I don't know who told you that. You got to be willing to go back to the airport and fly home and not feel like they've got you over a barrel because of the situation. Now, I want to talk about Consumer Reports' most recent buying guide. And of the five top brands that they found that's overall driving performance, the reliability, all the factors Consumer Reports throws into the barrel and figures out, okay, here's the top of the heap, here's the bottom of the heap. Number one brand that they're recommending highest brand rating in the United States this year is Subaru. Number two, Mazda. So we've got two regular price brands that ranked as the overall best deal as a brand you could buy from. Number three, a luxury brand, BMW. Number four, Honda. And number five, the one who used to always be at the top, now in fifth place, Lexus. Now, what is it that is, I look through the list, a lot of the luxury brands are towards the bottom, not necessarily at the bottom, but towards the bottom. According to Consumer Reports research, it's because of all the advanced electronics being put in vehicles. And the advanced electronics are causing reliability issues as vehicles become more and more rolling computers. The brands that tend to do better in terms of reliability are the ones that gradually, incrementally do uh, changes in how the technology in a vehicle operate. But then when you look at the brands that Consumer Reports gave the lowest rating to, They're not necessarily luxury brands. Lowest rated brand of all is an ultra popular one right now, Jeep. Second from the bottom, GMC, followed by Mitsubishi, Land Rover, and Alfa Romeo. Uh, Everybody else kind of in the middle. So when you're looking for where the most efficient use of your dollars might be, if you trust the deep dive data of Consumer Reports, again, Subaru, Mazda, BMW, Honda, and Lexus. You can buy, if you're going to buy a new vehicle or a used vehicle, it's a really great idea to access at the library if you're not a subscriber or buy one-time access to Consumer Reports Auto Issue, which is the April issue that is a full deep dive into 
buying a new vehicle and getting the best deal you possibly can. And Krista, what you got for me? Well, I have a few car questions. This one is from M in Georgia. Will Bentley and Rolls-Royce used car prices come back down to more common types of used car prices when they decline again? Bentley and Rolls-Royce cars depreciate very fast. However, like other used cars, they are not depreciating as nearly as fast as before. I'm in the market for a used low-mileage Rolls-Royce and have found the same or worse supply issues exist for these cars. Is there a recharge these types of car values will fall faster than more normal cars when the shortages become less of an issue? So there's a different situation involved with things like Bentley and Rolls-Royce. The people who buy ultra-high-end luxury vehicles are people who a lot of their perception of their wealth is based on investments. And investments have had an enormous run-up for a number of years. And very wealthy people have had more money sloshing around than historically they've had. So these vehicles, new and used, have held really high values and the supply chain disruptions, that's only magnified it. So the stock market, as you know, is going through a rough ride uh, for a number of factors that predate the Ukraine invasion and are amplified by the uncertainty brought on by war in Europe. And so the effect of this is ultra high-end purchases will soften in the marketplace. So the vehicle thing overall will get better over time, uh, certainly this year. And as I talked about earlier, the used vehicles already, the prices seem to have softened a little. And the really high-end vehicles will assume more normal patterns. As far as when will be normal, normal, It's a bit of a guess by people who live this every day in the automotive industry, but they're guessing late in 22 or certainly in 23, we'll have a much more normal vehicle market for new and used. This is from Sandy in Colorado. We have two Honda SUVs, a 2018 and a 2019, both in great shape. Thinking of selling one of them, what is the best place or way to do that? In this used car climate, we want the best bang for our buck. So here's how I do this. <laughs> I know this is crazy. It's going to require some work. Get a price online from uh, Carvana. CarMax usually will give you an online price for these two Hondas. Get a price on both of them, the 18 and the 19. See what they'll offer you for each of them. Obviously, you're only going to sell one or the other, but both are in play as free agents right now. Honda dealers are desperate for inventory on their used vehicle markets. You can go to Honda branded dealers and see what they will offer you. And I've noticed a number of automotive sellers who are not household brand names, but are local or regional players are running ads saying, hey, we want your used vehicle contact us usually online we'll give you a price and tell you what we'll pay for it so the more you're willing to take the time i mean with carvana and carmax we're talking about seven or eight minutes to get a a virtually guaranteed price on both 18 and 19 honda suv and then from others it may require a little more work but you'll know 
what both of them are worth in the marketplace, and then which one makes the most sense to sell. And then from Chuck in Pennsylvania, the opposite problem. I may unfortunately be in the market for a vehicle for my 19 and 16-year-old stepdaughters to use and share beginning this summer. Typically, I would look for a used Toyota or Honda, brands I believe to be reliable. However, given the craziness in the used car market, I'm wondering if instead I should just buy an inexpensive new car. I was hoping to spend no more than $10,000, but if that only gets me a used car with hundreds of thousands of miles on it, I would be willing to spend a bit more if I have to. Any thoughts or wisdom you can share is very much appreciated. So there's a big difference in the marketplace right now between what you can buy a used passenger car for or a new passenger car versus an SUV or a pickup truck. If you're happy to have the children share, the stepdaughters share a passenger car, then uh, it's tough to make this call because if you're going to buy a new one, and I looked at this recently for a friend, you're looking at your entry point being about twenty-two or 23000 for a new passenger car. Somewhere in that range gets you what they call drive out. That's a lot more than the 10 you expected to spend. The problem, as you noted, is that where the give has come when you're trying to buy a less expensive used vehicle is the number of miles on the odometer. The, the mileage counts have been just sky high. So if financially you could handle buying a new vehicle in the low to mid-20s, I would do that in this case with an intention that that would be a vehicle that would stay in the family for a long, long time because you'd have a new vehicle warranty and this is completely different than what I normally say, isn't it, Krista? It is. But in this case, I'd say that it probably does, if it fits your budget, to go ahead and buy potentially new instead of used. And one other thing I wanted to mention on the car thing, for you or any other buyer, the dealers are being ultra-aggressive right now trying to make you take out a loan from them. They've got a limited supply of vehicles. They feel like they've got real power in the marketplace. And not only are they selling eight out of 10 vehicles at an above suggested retail price, but then they're trying to force you to finance with them. Do not get into any conversation with finance with the dealer till after you've made a deal on the purchase of this vehicle, you would get your stepdaughters. Second thing, if you are going to finance arrange the financing in advance at a credit union. If you can't do that, it's an inferior choice. You can finance at a bank. Why do I call it inferior? Because credit unions tend to write vehicle loans at one and a half to two and a half points lower interest rate than banks do. And so that's money you're paying month after month. Only once you have a deal at the dealer and you're sitting in there with the finance department person, that's when you spring upon them, hey, I already got my loan. So the deal's already made, and they're not then going to be able to cram a crummy loan down your throat that you really don't want. And I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. Programming note for you, you'll hear a fresh podcast tomorrow, but next week, we're on vacation. 
and we will have fresh podcasts for you starting again March 14th.